0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Finding Peaks, Uh, joined today by your favorite host, Brandon Burns, Chief Executive Officer for (laughs) Peaks Recovery Centers. And we've had a day here at (laughs) Peaks, so we're, we're just emotionally regulating at this moment with Jason Friesma, Chief Clinical Officer, Peaks Recovery, Chief Operating Officer, Glenn Nicholson, everybody. So welcome back. I'm gonna carry the inner, I'm gonna pull these guys Thank out of the you. rut. Thank that you. is their <laughs> operational nightmare for the day. Things happen in addiction treatment, so we've been navigating that beforehand. But we're gonna roll into stages of change. We're gonna mm. pipe it up a little bit
1: here. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I'm ready. Yeah, All right. I am. You guys are into it. Jason's ready, so
2: which means he goes first. So Jason yeah. always goes I first. I always go first, so I have to be ready. You right, go first. Absolutely. Yeah, say something. Got it.
0: So I was talking to a friend of ours in addiction treatment uh, who works uh, on our behalf and we were talking about um, you know, uh, a situation in which uh, you know, individuals as they go through uh, uh, using and abusing drugs and alcohol, she called it high hopes. That there's this moment when you're using meth, heroin, or otherwise, and you think, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to change my life tomorrow, and I'm going to stop, and I'm going to get my job, I'm going to get my life back together, and all those sort of things. So kind of a silly little set of language there called high hopes. And in the stages of change, that feels like the pre-contemplative stage of that. Yeah. So I hope I delivered that. I was hoping for a little yeah. bit of a smile maybe from you on that, but... Now you expect
2: Clint to smile?
1: i I was smiling.
2: I was (laughs) smiling. Inside.
0: That is my smile. Deep, deep inside (laughs) Clint was smiling. So high hopes (laughs) is pre-contemplation, right? And from that clinical lens, because it's superior to my philosophical lens, at least in navigating addiction treatment, is that accurate? Is high hopes the pre-contemplative sort of phase of that? Or would you describe it in another way?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think high hopes... uh, is a really nice way to put the old term denial like hey i' just I can solve this on my own, or things aren 't that bad or um, everything's going to be okay or uh, yeah, so it is a hopeful tone i 'm not sure I, I think it feels hopeful very fleetingly would be my yeah. guess
1: yeah, I think that makes sense the, i mean pre contemplation is i 've always understood it um, this moment of um, Man, maybe there's a problem. You know, maybe I do a little too much heroin. You know, but I still got it under control. There's still that feeling of um, that that sense of efficacy that you have in act, that you're holding on to That you um, start to recognize there may be a little bit of disruption, but it's not a level of disruption that really requires any immediate sort of response. So that would be the kind of pre-contemplation moment.
0: I don't. I mean. It may be a situation in which, right, you're sitting down, you're having coffee with somebody and you're like, hey, maybe I have an issue, and you're talking out loud, but it seems more of an internal sort of struggle, pre-contemplation, right? Is that, is that accurate?
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't think... It, I think if, if anybody's having a problem with you or your behavior, it is definitely not you.
1: Yeah, uh, like that
2: Like it's other people's issue and they are too sensitive or not understanding me or too conservative, or whatever it might be. Like, it's not me, it's, it's them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely still the world's fault at yeah. that moment. What is,
0: a, what is a general way somebody comes into you know Peaks Recovery and they're pre-contemplative, like, well, my mom said I got to do this or I have to be here. What is the first sort of clinical strategy to support the individual to go into the next phase of the stages of change?
2: Oh, great question. Um, so actually, Literally, the strategy, the clinical strategy for dealing with pre-contemplation is to raise doubt. That's it, right? Like, it, it isn't necessarily to get into an argument. It's just to simply begin to find little cracks in in the thinking, which you would appreciate, Brandon, and begin to like whittle away a little bit. Like, how's that working for you? Or, you know, you're kind of you're kind of saying that um, y- y- maybe your addiction isn't out of control, but Um, You also just told me that uh, you haven't paid rent in two months and you might get evicted. Like, that doesn't quite match. So it's just little subtle opportunities to kind of point out some discrepancies basically in the thinking.
1: Yeah, developing discrepancy. That's really what you're doing. When, uh, you know, when I, so
0: sometimes, you know, I, I've been on the phone or discussions with families and they, you know, their loved ones in treatment and they're pre-contemplative and the parents sometimes say the same things to us or to the individual pre-treatment that we say to them. And then we're talking to them and, um, they're like, Oh yeah, yeah, you're, no, you're right. There is an issue here. And I got this going on. Then we share that with families and families turn on like, I've been telling them that for years. Yeah. Um, as what is it about that as a scenario in that pre-contemplative stage? It it's, you know, that you guys are familiar with in the clinical setting, uh, you know, for me, kind of to expose, I guess, the direction of my thinking about it is that um, the individual in those moments is no longer able to hear the parent. And the way, even if the information's obvious, you know, don't do drugs, heroin, whatever, um, that somehow we're able to bring that to light in a new and sort of meaningful way.
2: Um, As a parent, um, I do think, My, my, my kids. God love them. because you know hi. Um, I do think they had, can uniquely uh, ignore a parent, parent voice at times, right? Like you, you were once a kid. I think Clinton was once a kid too. And like you, you do figure out a way um, to be able to just ignore people that have been saying the same things over and over to you. And and um, and sometimes you just need to hear things from somebody outside your chain of command, if you will. You need somebody outside um, objectively looking in and offering a new perspective and also offering likely just different words. Um, and I can certainly understand parents being frustrated about that. Um, and I've, I've heard that same feedback, too, of like, I've, I've been saying this over and over and... Um, and of course they have, but, you know, and your kids have been ignoring you forever and ever, too. Like, I mean, that's just kind of true. And so I think it, there's just can be so much more weight and power. And I, I, I think there's an objectivity, too, of, like, you know, I do think we are trained to really fully listen to people, and I think our admissions department does a great job of listening um, to people and their problems all the way through. So when somebody feels all the way heard, yeah. and then on the back end of that, they're like, man, I've heard all of that, and I don't have any of the baggage I never change your diaper or anything like i'm just hearing all this for the first time and you have a problem like it does carry a different weight mm-hmm.
1: and i think that we approach maybe from the clinical perspective you approach with a bit more curiosity it's uh and i think that element of curiosity helps people like jason say feel heard and feel to a certain degree validated like being able to recognize that i under i see this as your reality i see that this is these are your beliefs and that this is kind of your perception of the situation, and I'm gonna offer you something a little different. Uh, I'm gonna just flip that a little bit, and I'm curious what it looks, when, sh- when I show you it your life this way, what does that do? And mm-hmm. rather than trying to tell somebody that they're living their life wrong, you're, you're being more curious about sort of why they're living their life the way they are, and what it would look like to live life a little bit differently. So there's a, a softer delivery and then I think it's why Jason and I have beards, because people take people with beards more seriously. Yeah. So Makes sense. it's a huge difference, yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Obviously, longer, they take Jason very seriously, very seriously. seriously. Yeah. Very um, seriously. Yeah. yeah. The greys help, too. <laughs> Absolutely, it really does, yeah.
0: And so would it be a, you know, uh, obviously there's a, well, obvious to us, I think, that there's a skill set, right, in being curious from a clinical standpoint, but would we like to make a recommendation that you know you see your loved ones struggling with you know drugs and alcohol and x y and z behaviors look you know really you know devastating and are frustrating the situation um you know not necessarily to put on like the clinical lens but just to be more curious about that you know what You know, okay, I hear you that you're going through those things, but just walk me through it. You know, like what's going on with you. You know, that how can I support you? This type of language rather than stop doing that, and you're going to ruin your life, and you're going to die, and that sort of telling aspect.
2: What I really, I think that's a a great point. What I think about, I, I mean, we're kind of introducing this topic of stages of change, um, which is implying that getting people to make changes is actually a process. Right. And I think what we are trained to do in our field um, is to change, to make changes, sometimes one degree at a time to get all the way to 180. You know, and and I think it's way too easy to be like, quit using drugs or start taking your meds or whatever it might be. Just change. (laughs) Stop it. Um, 180 right now. But like, I think the stages of change model is saying, you know what? Well, actually, there's actually a process for getting people to make changes. And sometimes people can work through that process relatively quickly. And sometimes it's just about, um, you know, just planting these little seeds of doubt in their mind of like, maybe this isn't working for me. I mean, I'm actually surprised you haven't broken down the word pre-contemplation. I'm not sure that's actually an English word um, until stages of change came about. Mm -hmm. But like, it's literally before you think about something, right? Like, that's what that word means.
1: (laughs) Right. Pre-contemplative would be probably more appropriate. Yeah. 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 I try to keep it really high level. You know, <laughs> for sure. yeah. we only have so much
0: time, the deep dives, they can get distracting. Pretty soon we're wondering yeah, I whether it like was some low
2: hanging fruit a
0: childhood <laughs> yeah. or whether or not he was delivered by storks. Yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so We got the individual in, you know, maybe the parents got them to go from pre contemplation to contemplation the next stage of change right they go to a treatment and they say you know what I kind of recognize I got a problem, you know stealing from mom whatever the case might be or they get into treatment mom doesn't know what she's talking about okay Jason, you're a guru you got me, I think there's probably something to look at here now we're in this contemplative stage. Um, What is what are they contemplating? Like, mm-hmm. a re- like reasons for change or should I change at all? Or because there seems tones of pre-contemplative in contemplative as a stage of change. How do we break those apart?
2: Okay. <clears throat> so, uh, I mean, I think strictly the contemplative would be when people begin to think maybe I have a problem, maybe I don't. Um pre-contemplative as I you know, i at least as I understand is I just don't have a problem. And obviously, you know, there's some gradations between those thinking, but like contemplation is where people land when it's like, okay, I'm I'm in treatment now. You know, maybe I can admit that things aren't going great for me. Now and and so our job kind of when people are contemplative, maybe I have a problem, maybe I don't, is again, it's it's the same method though. Like you keep asking, you maintain your curiosity. Um because the contemplation is about, you know, do I have a problem, basically, that needs some sort of solution or intervention? Still. Mm-hmm. Right? Like people people in contemplation are still not entirely sure they need help of any type. Yeah, um, And so that's what the contemplation is about. And, um, you know, I think in motivational interviewing, your job in contemplation tends to be to tip the scales, like to try to get them to weigh their options and then... Likely the need for change or adjustment will then tip the scales toward you know right. the next stage of change um, is how it plays out. But like really, what it's about is just helping somebody explore this. And again, I think you know if you're not professionally trained to do that, trained to do this, like you don't you, It's hard to be in that ambivalent state. You know, I've had, I mean, I've had um, somebody with a heroin addiction being like, I only shoot up twice a day. I know people who shoot up six times a day. I'm not sure I have a problem. Right. Whereas you know, if you're a parent of somebody that's shooting up heroin, that's shocking. Just a problem. Of course, that's a problem. <laughs> it's absurd. But, yeah. but, but they're thinking, um, uh, well, if if I want to back up even further, like I do, think people are constantly resolving their cognitive dissonance, right? Like if if <clears throat> people don't end up shooting up heroin twice twice a day, um, overnight, it's been a series of. Decisions they've made and somewhere along the way those decisions have made sense and then the next decision made sense and then the next and then the next And so there's a lot of cognitive distortions that are in there a lot that had That have been put in place to resolve their cognitive dissonance And so now they have, get to walk it back and be like it doesn't just go away Automatically a lot yeah. of times for a lot of people. It's like no we get to walk this back. Is this really okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and it is surprising maybe that to to help people walk that back maybe surprising it may seem self-evident to a lot of but it but it's a caring aspect to just be like no I'll, I'll help you walk this back and like you can actually look at you know some of these lines that you know maybe it isn't usual um in these ways and i think you know especially like when people are suffering with uh some alcohol use um issues i find that you know, people have a lot of ability to be like, well, I don't drink that much, or I drink less on the weekend, or less on the weekdays, and I always make it to work. Like, they have all of these stories um, that they tell themselves, and it's just our job to kind of help them unpack some of that and then and maybe point out uh, some, some things that are in disparity with that i yes. talk a lot. yeah, we do no, that. No, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: I think yeah. I think that was very thorough. Uh, my sort of simplistic way when I'm doing coffee dates with clients, I think about when they're in that contemplative state to couch it in two terms of responsibility and sustainability. And it becomes pretty difficult to couch like fentanyl use or you yeah. know heroin or meth use into any sort of responsible framework. And then even if we could get it there, you know, to say, well, I have pain, you know, then we can go right into the sustainability, you know, side side of it. And most of the time, there's no sustainability. Uh, it gets awkward, of course, in conversations. You're in addiction treatment. Sometimes you want to promote abstinence based on the individual, you know, that you're speaking with. And you know, it's sort of the the you know American narrative is somewhere in there that there's responsibility and sustainability at least in two drugs, namely pot and alcohol, in that regard, um, in that way of things. So. I don't know if I'm gonna prompt a question from this, but that's I'm listening for because it. you promoted <laughs> what he was saying. I'm just hopeful that you can promote now what, what I'm you saying, were saying about responsibility and
1: sustainability as a contemplative. What I said. <laughs> so, uh, I think if you're looking at uh, responsibility and sustainability through like a contemplation lens, you're basically again trying to draw um, uh, dissonance, right? Like, mm-hmm. well, so you. You're telling yourself a narrative, right, or a story about how you are living a responsible and sustainable life, but then you're also saying that, you know, maybe when you uh, you're you're picking up your kids from school while you're intoxicated, right? So there's a there's a dissonance there, right? There the narratives aren't aren't meeting like you've uh, like Jason was saying you when you're using it's a Um, any sort of substance, there's a process of sort of calibration, where you're constantly recalibrating your reality to make sense of your behavior. And when you can pull back a little bit and show somebody their behavior from a more objective standpoint and say, well, here, you're saying this, but then I'm, but you're also, but you're doing this. Like, help, walk me through how, how those two things make sense. Then you actually, the dissonance starts to be created in the, in the disruption of the narrative. Yeah. So, and that's, and that kind of is speaking to what you're talking about but i think that yeah you're that sustainability and responsibility fall apart pretty quickly when you highlight the dissonance and narrative and yeah yeah so well right? the,
2: I, the title of your book that you should write uh from this would be the philosopher's guide to stages of change because because yeah. i do think you you've created really with un, unknowingly created really um helpful questions to help kind of tip those scales and get people into action by causing them to think really deeply about the sustainability of their lifestyle. Yeah,
0: Yeah. well, and for our viewers out there, if you caught it, there's a slight talking down happening about like, that is adorable language, Brandon, with (laughs) responsibility. Did you miss, you were doing so well. Did you miss
1: Jason's point on dissonance?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because
1: there's a better word. (laughs) You guys. We would never, we can't because you're our boss. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Anyways, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate it, I appreciate it, yeah. but I caught it. Yeah. <laughs> so now we move from contemplation to preparation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What is preparation? Because I don't even have a ledge to walk off there in that direction. I don't, I don't even know how to approach that from a questionnaire standpoint. Yeah, this... Brute force, what is preparation?
2: I'm ready. Yeah. I'm... That's really... I mean, that, that is a great question. It, it's just saying that there is um, a a brief transitional period of time when somebody says, okay, I have a problem, to when they're fully ready to take whatever actions they need. So it's just, it's this step that maybe Clinton can talk to more because it's more of a pragmatic thought process of like, okay, you have a problem, there is a solution, how do we bridge the gap between your problem and a solution? So pragmatically take it away. Pragmatically, yeah.
1: No, so they, we've uh, accepted dissonance at that point, right? You're like, you're right. Like, the way, the way that I have calibrated my reality versus the, uh, the way that I'm living my life are incongruent with one another. And there's an acceptance of that. It's like, yes, I have, basically, I have a problem. And, uh, and in preparation, there is this moment of, and I'm ready to do something about it. Um, what am I gonna do? And so preparation is is answering that question. What am I gonna do to resolve this issue that I've accepted is real and problematic? Mm -hmm. Um, And you begin the the steps of, I don't know, probably the first step would be a Google search, right? Like treatment, like I need help, I need support. Um, I'm gonna um, figure out the, the path that is gonna best support me in sort of resolving this um, dissonance that I I have created in my life and that I've identified and accepted as there. That's really what preparation is.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, it. right, like if, you know, some people uh, may come into peaks in denial that they have a mental health issue, maybe like a bipolar um, issue, and so they won't take meds maybe, or they, you know, can't, See how they're affecting other people's lives, and through these processes, we get them to be like, okay, I, I think I, I may need some help. Okay, well then, let, let's then now, now we're in preparation. Here's what help looks like. You're going to have to take medications because this is a, a mental health issue, and it, it requires. There's a there's an imbalance uh, of chemicals in your brain, and we we need to address that. Um, it's also going to likely require um, some psychotherapy, and here's how you utilize individual therapy and group therapy, like. It's just kind of laying out kind of the plan. Yeah, basically. It's, like a, it's a treatment plan. And then at the very end of that, there's a
1: commitment to the plan, yeah. right? And so that's sort of like when preparation becomes action, it's like, all right, I agree. Like I commit, like I'm putting my stamp on that and now I'm ready to move forward. Mm-hmm. So uh, that preparation piece is just getting that plan organized and, and sort of everything laid out. And then at the very end, there's the commitment that all right, I'm ready, I'm gonna go do this now.
0: Is this in the, you know, you guys have obviously brought us to this step, this next step in stages of change, that is the action item. <clears throat> when maybe this is where, you know, we've kind of uh, jabbed at holistic models of care, but this is really where that holistic approach comes in, right? That this is your unique action plan versus somebody else who's in treatment, you know, alongside you. Mm-hmm. And We have these action plans and then we create them for the individual or support the creation of it with the individual. So that they can best succeed because it's, you know, their plan is something that's meaningful for them. Uh, And now we're kind of, maybe we're creating awareness through like deep dives into, you know, clinical work um, that expose, you know, ways of informing the action item, but it seems like we're kind of in that sort of behavioral modification or how are we gonna get this right and be consistent with it um, to succeed?
2: Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I think some of those behavioral, Like I look at some of the behavioral things you described as kind of the scaffolding, and I think some other things can be going on underneath that. Some of that deeper um, clinical work is part of that action phase. Um, And I, well, I think that's all I had to say about what you said.
1: Yeah, I think action is it's it's both of those things. It's those deep dives to figure out motivation: why do I do these things? And then there's that exploration of and sort of practice of like how do I do it differently? Mm -hmm. Like um, and. Collectively, that is the action stage. Um, it there, it's it's a hefty hefty stage. I think that sometimes people um, think, oh, action, boom! It's like it lasts thirty days because that's how long treatment lasts. That's actually no. That's yeah. that's a small part of mm-hmm. the action process. Um, action is because action requires um, a level of integration and practice that requires repetition. Right. Um, so. But it's, uh, it's where the work is done. That's, that's where you really you put in the blood, sweat, and tears. And it's, um, it's, it's a heavy lift, really. It's the heavy lift part of the stages of change.
0: So the, the sort of fifth stage of change here is maintenance. Mm-hmm. The kind of like the, the difference between pre-contemplation and contemplation, um, it seems like through the action items, through the repetition, Mm. we're already engaged with maintenance. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess if we can kind of parse those out, how are they different than
2: one another? I mean, that is pretty tricky. I mean, it's mm-hmm. kind of like maintenance is just less action. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's kind it's, of a lot of the same things, you just don't need to do as much. Like, If you think about it as a weight change uh, metaphor, like the action phase would be losing weight or gaining it, I guess, that if that's what you need to do. And then the maintenance phase would be maintaining the same way, like what do you have to do? You still can't eat maybe how you were eating before right um, but you don't you don't have to be as aggressively uh, trying to lose weight or whatever like you just get to kind of maintain so it doesn't it isn't a return to old behavior, but it is like I have the the things I need and and um, I think a lot of times to maintenance phase to me is when um you both will roll your eyes at this a little bit, but like where people have access a lot to their intuition and they can trust it again, where they, they know what they need to do to keep um, on the path that they're doing. Whereas a lot of these other things require some outside input a lot of times to help guide and all of that. And then once people are in maintenance phase, they're, they're usually well attuned to, okay, I know, I know what I need to do to kind of keep the weight off, if you yeah. will, for sure.
1: Yeah, I think it's a level of integration into your life and where it's it's less about practice and course correction and more about um, like you, you've started to fully integrate like a healthy lifestyle, right? Like working out just becomes part of your day. Mm-hmm. You know, a healthy diet just becomes part of uh, it's just how you eat. Mm-hmm. It's not even a diet anymore, mm-hmm. right? It's just how you've chosen to start eating. Your, um, yeah, it's, it's a that maintenance is really the moment in which it just becomes your life. Yeah, and it's it's not really even a matter. Uh, it's kind of like trying to parse out though, at what point does practice become not practice anymore, and you're actually just doing it. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, that's that's pretty much on point. Yeah.
0: Well, stages of change, everybody. <laughs> uh, you know, to me, it just you know it feels like you know what the stages of change are are really like you know, the, the building's burning down, and you know, we gotta put the fire out, and it's really becomes like the foundation sort of scaffolding for sort of putting it all back together. And even though the scaffolding's up, all the work that goes into it, whether it's clinical, whether it's medical, whether it's brute force action, whether it's the meetings, the rooms, uh, all of the things that sort of follow suit for getting, uh, you know, the, the home restored in that regard, um, seems to start with the stages of change in that regard just kind of as like the brick and mortar of it um, mm-hmm. in that way of things. So I think it's in, important to get familiar with this language for how it operates within you know treatment episodes for the individual as they go through it. Um, you know but at the end of the day uh, it is more of a, a scaffolding and mm-hmm. that um, there's a ton of work that goes into that. So uh, at the end of this we're not trying to simplify recovery journeys—they're quite complex and uh, require a deep dive—but you know the the stages of change in that regard really give us a, a foundation to work from in that way of things. So uh, appreciate you guys. Told you we would get through this First, together.
2: Yeah, we did it. Yeah, we had yeah, a rough day today, yeah.
0: and so hopefully all smiles now at the end yeah, of this. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, thanks for everybody until we for j- open our phones <laughs> until we open our phones again. Thanks again for joining us on an episode of Finding Peaks. Uh, finding Peaks at PeaksRecovery.com. Uh, Send us your thoughts, ideas, questions, so that we can continue to build on these episodes and give you the uh, education and insights on your end to support uh, your loved ones or friends, uh, family, and so forth. Um, The TikToks, the Instagrams, the Facebooks, all those sort of things. Uh, We'd love to see you uh, following us on those social media structures. And until next time, thank you.